Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. Welcome to SEM Fridays at the Top End, 16.11am. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. This is Jacko, joined as always by Raf Clark. Raf, how has your week been? Yeah, not bad, mate. Um, it's been a big week. Um, some exciting footy over the weekend. Some very, very close clashes, which kept everyone on the edge of their couches. So it should be an interesting morning. We do have a big, big show today. Raf, just off the top. How exciting was the football last week? We got in on Friday morning and spoke about the Brisbane-Richmond thriller on last Thursday night. And I think at the time we would have been shocked if you said, no, there's going to be three other games to follow that will be just as good, if not better. And, and that's what we were treated to last weekend. Just an amazing opening first round of finals. Yeah, definitely, mate. And uh, if, you, if you've walked away from your TV, like I almost did when <laughs> Fremantle were playing... Um, yeah, and until they kicked that first goal, um, they were all thrillers, mate. And yeah, like I said, you had to watch them right down to the last kick of the game. Very, very big show today. We have Emma Stark, probably somebody who we neglected to celebrate last weekend, Raf, amongst all of the excitement. But a great story Emma Stark was, wasn't she? Yeah, mate. She's an incredible young girl um, and she's got a big, big future ahead of her, both in either AFLW or as an umpire. And Shannon Motlop, of course, announced earlier in the year as the inaugural coach for the new team in the Northern Territory Football League, the Pint Football Club. We will talk to Shannon about how he thinks he's going to go. We will get into more detail when we talk to Shannon and he comes on. But off the top, Raf, what are your expectations on the Green Ants in their inaugural season? Yeah, it's an interesting one. They've been a powerhouse in Div 1 for a long time and... Um you know, getting a quality person across the line like Shannon, whether um, he can drag a few of his Wanderers mates and possibly his brother Stephen. That's some questions we'll be throwing at him. And, um, you know, they've, they've always been a powerhouse with the, the numbers they get. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how well they go when they step up. I think it'll be a good experiment to when you judge the difference in standard between the Division One competition and the Premier League competition. I know hanging around a couple of Division One boys over the years, there's always that banter, I suppose, that the top teams could, could knock off the bottom teams in the Premier League. Where do you think that different standard lies? Yeah, it's a hard one, I guess, but um, until you get your whole team up there, I guess, um, yeah, Pint should should definitely, um, with the excitement they create, they should be, you know, be challenging, but... Yeah, it's a, it's a matter of having a quality of bloody 20 to 30 players, you know, not just your top five or six that get you over the line every week in Div 1. So that'll be interesting. It'll be fascinating to talk to Shannon Motlop later on in the program about his plans for Pint. Switching back to AFL just a second, and there were some pretty big trade bombshells during the week, which is another thing that we will talk about. We have Junior Rioli and Ben Long as a couple of Territorians who have kind of put their name up on the trade table. But let's go back to Richmond, a team that was eliminated from the finals last Thursday. Now, we knew about Tim Taranto, and we touched on that in last week's show. But during the week, Jacob Hopper, another one of Greater Western Sydney's prized midfielders, has announced that the Tigers are his trade destination. It seems not unfathomable, but it seems like there would be a definite salary cap squeeze. But... With Shane Edwards retiring, with Trent Cotchin and Jack Revolt reportedly taking pay cuts, do you think that 
the Tigers will be able to wield a deal to fit those two midfielders in? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, they've set up really well, Richmond, and um, like we spoke about it last week, you know, with a top up and get those couple of quality players um, to, you know, keep them in that top four sort of um, area for the next couple of years and, you know, very smart by Richmond. So, you know, and those quality players, you know, attracted to that to, you know, play finals straight away and hopefully some success straight up. So that's always um, very, very bloody, um, what would you call it, luring, I guess. So we'll see how that goes. I think if they were to get the deal done, it would cost something in the vicinity of their first round pick this year, their first round pick next year, pick 19 in this year's draft, which is the pick that they secured off North Melbourne for Callum Coleman-Jones and potentially Ivan Soldo, who I believe the Giants have some interest in a ruck prospect who the Giants will, will one way or another fill the need by getting a ruckman in this year. Do you think that is a fair trade for both teams? Do you think that... It is a risky situation for the Tigers who, I wouldn't say uh, passed it, but a lot of their stars, a lot of their premiership superstars like your Jack Revolts and Trent Cotchins and, and dare I say it, Dustin Martin almost look on their last legs. Do you think that is a eggs in one baskets play by the Tigers? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very good question because um, it's either you put all your that eggs in one basket and then you, you drop away and then you have to rebuild over the three or four year period again. So whether you keep adding quality young fellas that you can build on and keep for you know for their whole careers is is a big um, question Richmond need to ask so I think they've got a young quality squad coming through with the likes of Morris and those guys um, and Shay Bolton's you know just starting to hit his peak so whether you you top up and push for another couple of premierships or you you know restart now and getting those younger kids in and and, and build for another 10 years so that's a question they've got to ask I guess but what do you reckon mate what would you do Look, I think that the issue is, well, not the issue, but rather the positive when looking at the Tigers' list demographic is they don't have a lot of players around that 24-, 25-year-old mark. So I think you get a player like a Taranto, like a Hopper, into the team, and it's not necessarily getting those players who are perhaps 29 or 28, like a Tom Mitchell or even a Jordan Degoe is a little bit younger than, than that, but he does come with a tiny bit more baggage than, say, a Tim Taranto or a Jacob Hopper. So I do think that clubs around the premiership window need to be careful not to trade away all of their draft picks to live in the now but being still in that mid-20s, and that's a long deal, Raph, seven years that they are proposing for both those players, almost uh, unheard of five, ten years ago. You'd be getting the five-year deal, and that'd be the one that would lure the marquee player. Now it seems like any second footballer, if you want to prize them out of a football club, you've got to be giving them these six- or seven-year deals. So, uh, look, I don't know. I suppose putting my Tigers supporting cap on, I hope it works out well for them. But I think the if Richmond are going to achieve any more success, it'll be through the organic uh, development of those younger players that are currently on their list. Like you said, the Morris Riolis, the Tyler Sonsis, uh, Noah Cumberland and players like that. Changing to another big four, if you will, Melbourne club, the Bombers. It has been an absolute shambles of a past couple of months for the Essendon Football Club and they would be seething internally, externally. Such a proud football club, the most successful club, along with Carlton in the AFL with the 16 premierships. The coaching race is certainly heating up. The, I suppose, fairy tale prospect that everyone likes to talk about, and one that is almost taboo to talk about, is James Hurd. Very controversial background in the red and black, but he has thrown his hat into the ring. Adam Uze, as an untried candidate, seems to be a very solid 
option. Leon Cameron, who spent all those years at Greater Western Sydney, has emerged almost as the front runner. You have Daniel Gian Siracusa and Jamie Graham rounding out the top five possibilities. What goes into selecting a coach, Raf? And more specifically, what do you think the Bombers need in a new coach? There have a there have been chatter about getting a an experienced coach, a coach that's already been tried. Uh, but then you have your new candidates, I suppose, like Gian Siracusa, Jamie Graham, and Adam Uze, who have an extensive assistant background. Where would you direct this, Raf? I'd like to think you'd go for a younger type coach. You look at the, the younger coaches that have come in now and the way they have a relationship with their players. Um, look at Melbourne's coach and um, Goodwin there. and You know, they always they look like mates. They look like Craig they McCray's get along. Another. Yeah, and Craig McCray's the other one. Like the excitement and enjoyment they get by hanging around their, te- their team and their players and seeing how well they do. Um, I think that's the way going forward with those pl- coaches and players having that type of relationship because... You know, back when I played, you sort of didn't see that, and you, you'd only, you know, know about that if you, your players told you behind closed doors how how well the coaches got along with you. But these coaches these days are expressing it out on the field, standing at the boundary line, and um, you know, when you see a coach so involved in how well their players are going, um, I think that makes sure that the players bring out their best every weekend for those coaches. I think. We all have, I don't know the right word to describe it, Raf, but that part of us as a supporter of a football club that just wants their coach to come in and give the boys a spray when an effort's just not quite there and you're sitting on the couch with a beer and your team's lost by five points. But is there room in the modern game for that these days or do you think that the head coach is somebody who is more of a man manager, coach manager and somebody who sort of just has that figurehead role and the spray is better left to the assistants? Where do you stand with that? Yeah, it's a, it's a strange thing that's happening with footy. It's, it seems like you can't get a spray anymore and... Um um, that's a, that's the unfortunate thing, but I'd rather, you know, your coach that can come in and do both. So um, that's that's my view on it anyway. So I, I'd love cop- copping a coach from a uh, spray from a coach as long as he's got something to follow up and some extractive criticism as well. SEN Fridays at the top end, sixteen eleven. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter. SEN Fridays at the top end, sixteen eleven a.m. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. Now, Raf, we have a very, very special guest. There is nothing better as a Territory football fan than hearing about a youngster making their debut at the elite level. Last, or a fortnight ago, rather, we had the youngest ever field umpire in an elite level competition in 16-year-old Emma Stark, and she joins us now. Emma, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thanks so much for having me. How are you guys? Going really, really well, thanks, thanks, Emma. Now, we do have to be quick because I hear you have school to go to today, but let's go back a fortnight ago and tell us what was the feeling like when you ran out onto Marvel Stadium? Oh, look, it was just absolutely insane. I, I, I can't quite describe it. Like, it was just so insane running out through the race and the lights flashing on and off at Marvel and the crowd just giving off a huge roar. It was just absolutely insane. I'm sure it's something that you would have thought about for quite a while. Did the experience match your expectations or was it a little different to what you thought? I know uh, the first time a lot of people ever go to these big grounds like the MCG or Marvel Stadium, they're surprised by how small it was. Was there any little detail that perhaps caught you off guard last week? Oh, I think it was when I was just walking out of the race. Uh, I wasn't expecting those dramatic effects of 
the lights flashing on and off red and and just the little details of when when you balled it up, the crowd just gave off a huge roar. And not just that, when I was walking out and checking out the field before the game, I was just looking around at all the empty seats thinking, wow, this is going to be absolutely packed when I walk out to start the game. Emma, you've been umpiring for a little while now. Can you tell us how you got involved in umpiring and how long it has been a dream or a goal of yours to umpire at the highest level? Yeah, so I started, uh, I got into it originally because I was playing and umpiring netball when I was 13. And in the off season of that, I was playing football. I decided I'd balance it out and play and umpire both sports um, as the seasons matched each other. Uh, so I joined as a little side job, but also um, just to get more involved with the game because I really love it that much. Um, it's a great perspective to be on a different side of the field. Um, and so I started in under 12s, uh, quickly made my rank, uh, made my way up the ranks and umpired, I've now umpired eight men's Premier League matches as of now. And I've done it for three years. Well, that's awesome, Emma. Uh, my next question, um, uh, with the umpiring, um, but also you've seen you play as a, a St Mary's player and I've seen you debuted last year. And my, my question is, um, you know, what's your, um, what are you leaning towards to be an, a, an AFLW player or you, you're enjoying the umpiring enough now that you probably um, stick to that? Oh, look, I actually don't have a favourite. Uh, so I, I love them both as equally as much. Um, I'm just, at the moment, I'm happy to go with the flow and see what happens. Uh, but look, I'm just, I'm so stoked to be where I am in both careers at the moment. So it's really great. Yeah, awesome. And, and just want to say congratulations on, on winning the Young Sports Person of the Year Award as well. How was that? <laughs> Thank you. Oh, look, that was also just incredible. Um, being there on the night, I, I was I was up against two really good competitors uh, and once they called my name out and I walked up, I think the first word that I said um, on stage was, wow, I just couldn't believe that I'd achieved it. Like it was just, and to have all the support from AFL coaches, family and friends, just everyone else who's been really good. Yep, awesome. So we're here at Yale that you're uh, pouring the Adelaide North Melbourne game this weekend. Um, you looking forward to that one? Oh, look, I'm I'm looking forward to it heaps. Uh, I've I've actually um, met the Adelaide Crows team when I was younger, so to now you know switch switch it up and um, umpire them this weekend is going to be pretty funny, but also going to be a bit of a milestone considering I met them in primary school. Um, but yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. I'll fly down to Savo and then the game is tomorrow at 12.10. No worries. So we um, can't expect Danielle to get a couple of little free kicks there, can we? Or is that not a question she'll be asked? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Look, uh, I'm no biased umpire here, but um, <laughs> I get that all the time in the NTFL as well. Friends asking me to pay free kicks, but no. Clean slate. No, awesome to hear. Emma, just a quick one from me. You were very humble before when talking about your football, but you are one of, in my opinion at least, the better young female footballers coming through the ranks. Have you received any guidance? I know that 
you still said you're undecided and you enjoy both equally as much. Have you received any professional guidance either from football people and, and the underage programs that you're involved in or the umpiring fraternity about this decision that you will eventually have to make or are they happy with your approach to just go with the flow until, say, at least the age of 18? Yeah, so I've received so much support. It's it's really insane. I'm so grateful for that. But uh, I've actually been told by my AFL field umpire mentor, John Howard. So he's number 17 in the AFL. He, he's told me just to stick with two for as long as I can and, and keep doing what I love. Uh, and then in, and the AFL is totally happy to support me in that decision. And then in terms of my coaching, uh, I, I'm... The best coaching I do receive is one with St. Mary's, my club, but also two with the Thunder programs they have, so under-18s and under-16s. Um, so Brent Renouf is the main coach for Thunder, um, and then you have Simon Hargrave, the NT talent manager. They're both really supportive. Emma, thank you very, very much for joining us. SEN Fridays at the top end, 16.11am. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. Raf, how good was Emma Stark? She is an absolute star. We learnt a lot about her. And it must be a very interesting predicament to be... I don't know if we've ever had in the history before a tug-of-war between the umpiring fraternity and, and the AFL club itself. But... That's what we love about this show, getting guests like Emma Stark. Plenty more to come later on in the program. This is SEM Fridays at the Top End, 1611. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. Raph, we were talking before about the Essendon coaching candidates and there is a whole bunch of names, as always, throwing their hat into the ring. It will be interesting to see which direction this club goes in. They need some stability. They need it quick. We've spoken about new coaches like a Gian Syracuse or an Adam Uze and we've spoken about the tried and tested like a Leon Cameron type or even a James Hurd, dare I say it. One man who has thrown his hat out of the ring, who said he just wasn't feeling the vibe, is a man that you know plenty about, and that is Ross Lyon. You were coached by Ross during his time at the Saints, while you were at the Saints, obviously, Raf. How is he as a coach? What would he have brought to the Bombers Football Club, and do you think that he would have been the right man? Yeah, I, I, I've got 100% faith in, 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 in Ross, no matter you know what club he went to. Um, I think the, the fortunate thing when Ross came into St Kilda, our list had been been put together over the f- past three or four years through Grant Thomas with those really good draft picks and Nick Rewald, Kaczynski, you know, your Luke Balls, um, Del Sano, uh, my brother Xavier, um, Lee Montagna. So whether the Essendon, you know, they've, they've sort of got that young list coming through, you know, they showed a bit of promise. So I think Rossi would would have been perfect if he was to say yes, but yeah, we've we've heard that he said no, and I think we've got an audio that um, he said no. <laughs> he did, Raf, on Footy Classified earlier in the week. He did have this to say. You know what? How we're hardwired over evolutions and thousands of years. We have really sharp radars, danger or safety, and I just didn't go to. It just didn't feel right. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that, does it? That's just a personal judgment. And if you don't feel 
It's not even about going through the process. It's like ultimately they're still working through a lot there. Um, and a, a fair bit come to me of Essendon people that have been in really strong positions and explained the club and the challenges of the club and anyone from the outside. And this is what's got to change in my view. It doesn't make it right, but I think there might be some internal views that people have been there. Matty Knights from the outside didn't work. John Worsfold, even when they made finals, there was noises about John. And then Rutten. So it's like an organ transplant. After two years, you get rejected. So I think they've got to get a head around outside of Essendon coming through. It's like Malcolm Blight come back and, you know, look, at the end of the day, he was executed, wasn't he? And, you know, there was no process for his replacement. That guy was just put in. So, um, yeah, I think it's about each club to their own. You know, is, is there a right fit for me somewhere? Maybe. Who knows? Ross Lyon is such a great media performer, Ralph, and I think that's almost half the problem. He is he's great on Footy Classified to start with, but he also has radio. He also has many other commitments. So it would have had to be a significant offer, and not just financially, but opportunity-wise, I believe, to pry Ross Lyon out of the media. He has occupied for the last couple of years and, and will probably do so for the coming couple of years as almost like the coach in waiting. Whenever there is a candidate uh, up for grabs, Ross Lyon's name is always thrown out there. How long can you occupy a position like that? And of your knowledge of Ross Lyon, do you think he is good enough as a football brain to just step into a coaching role despite being out of the system now for a couple of years? Yeah, I think he, he could, mate. He could step back in tomorrow um, just with his knowledge. And, and he just listened to the way he talks there about how much, you know, he's picked apart that role as a coach. Um, you know, so before he went to any football club, he'd have every stone unturned and make sure there's, you know, nothing missing before he walks into a role. But, you know, when you look at St Kilda's game plan, when Rossi Lyon came through, that started that zone and that press, um, you know, and that what kept us to the, you know, one of the having the lower scoring against us for those couple of years. Um, and that's the way the game sort of played these days. So I think Rossi Lyon, he, he'd, he'd be able to step in tomorrow, like I said, mate, and make it any club go forward. I think it would be interesting to watch Ross Lyon if he did get another opportunity at AFL level. As you touched on, he is known for his defensive structures that he has implemented so perfectly at St Kilda and Fremantle. Did not get that premiership medal, that elusive premiership medal, but gee, he went close, Rafi, as close as you just about yeah. could possibly go uh, without trying to bring back too many bad memories. But Big, big news earlier in the week, Raf, and that is the AFL has landed the biggest sports broadcast rights deal in Australian history after extending its partnership with the Seven Network, Foxtel and Telstra for another seven seasons. Gil McLaughlin, the AFL's chief, had this to say earlier in the week. I don't know whether I should be saying this. So we sort of shook hands and, uh, you know, late, well, we got to a deal in principle late, late in whatever it was, I'm trying to do the day, on Monday night. And then sort of tried to finalise the, the the actual contracts, which were mostly done. And that's hard work, because everyone's mm-hmm. down to tin tacks. At about four thirty, it's like oh, we've all had enough of this, and sort of had, yeah, you know, it was a bit of a hissy fit thrown probably by me. And then they got everyone to agree to some stuff, and so everyone wanted to sign. Then I was like, oh, so the one of the teams was down the road at Fox, and they wanted to, so we sort of trudged down and pulled the cars over on Collins Street, <laughs> and set out. In the street, and I was like, I was hungry and grumpy. I was like, I need a souvlaki, and then I was like, there's no souvlaki around here. And then we sort of in some windswept thing, we sort of on on our laps signed agreements. At, yeah, I think it was a quarter past five in the morning. It was a it was a sort of a inglorious finish. 
Raph, let's talk some football, and there is a big, big game tonight between the Melbourne Demons and Brisbane Lions. We all know about the Lions-Tigers game. We digested it last week on the show. Melbourne, the Friday night last week, had a very interesting game against Sydney. I thought early on they controlled the tempo. I thought early on they looked like the better team, and I thought that they were almost in a position to run away with it. Uh, Sydney just never laid down, though. That tenacity that their midfield in particular has brought to the game this year has been a real freshening point for the club, and sort of, I wouldn't say for the first time this year, but last week they really looked like a team that could go all the way and win a premiership and securing a home prelim final is the first way and the best way to go about doing that. Where do you see the Swans in 2022? Yeah, mate, it was an awesome game to see. Um, you know, the, the midfielders, the Swans never gave up and when you talk um, about those two sides, you thought the Melbourne Demons were their midfield coming off last year's grand final with, you know, Oliver and um, Petrarca, you thought, you know, they're going to set this, the pace of the game and really Especially control it. two in the rock. Yeah, and and for the Sydney midfield to get on top of them and, and to win their own footy and even kick goals um, was a big standout in my, in my view. Um, so if that midfield, you know, keeps going the way they're going, they could go all the way, I reckon. Christian Petrarca is a player that the Demons will be sweating on. It looks like he is 99.99% likely to play in tonight's game, but he will be sore. He does have that hairline fracture and corked calf that he is battling with throughout the week. Raf, we hear a lot from, well, especially outsiders like myself, we hear about, oh, there's plenty of players banged up or there are five, six, seven more. Half the team are like Christian Petrarca where they're carrying injuries into the game. As a player that has played at that level in those big games, how true is that statement? How banged up, uh, for lack of a better word, are these players entering these big games? Yeah, definitely, mate. If you're, if you're not feeling banged up and sore come finals time, um, you probably haven't played too many games throughout the season because every week it's a, it's a full-on battle uh, right down to the wire and you know, you look at the contest of possessions and, you know, just the game, the way it's played these days, it's it's probably not as hard as what it used to be because of the space and the, the man on the mark rule. But, yeah, if, you, if you're coming in fresh to come finals without any bruises or banged up at all, um, I'd, I'd be saying you you haven't had a kick or you haven't really caught near the footy. So, um, yeah, most players would be, you know, taking their anti-inflammatories every day and, and you wouldn't be able to run after a game fully until about two or three days after a game and... Um, yeah, so that's that's my view on that one. Where's the cutoff point, though, Raf? Like, there must be a fine and intricate blend between a coach's decision, a physio's decision, and what kind of pain and tolerance a player can put up with. It must be an interesting combination before a final decision is made. Can you give us a bit of an insight into that process and whether there are certain allowances, say, to play a Christian Petrarca at 70% or 80% as opposed to a younger player in the team or, say, a, a Jake Melksham or a Jaden Hunt or someone like that? Do you give a little bit of leeway to your absolute superstars? Yeah, I guess you do, and I, I think at the end of the day, as long as you you give that player like a, a 100% test, um, you know, you give him a training before the, the final selection is made, you make him go through the some of the, um, you know, scenarios he might have in a game, you know, you know, do some contested possession drills, um, make sure that if he does cop a knock that he's going to get through it because um, you don't want to test it at all. And then the first bounce of the game, someone runs past and hits him in his sore spot and he's done. So, you know, I'm pretty sure they'll do that. Uh, well, they would have done that yesterday, um, you know, put him through his paces to make sure that, you know, that they had 100% confidence in picking him. So 
um, I believe that he'll be right to go. But it's a very, very, very um, crucial one, yeah, because if you, if you get a knock straight up and he's done, you're down one of your best players straight straight away. So that's a big, big question. <laughs> Raf, round 23 could not have gone any worse for the Lions, really. They do not have a good MCG record, which is where they are playing tonight. So... They're playing a team that has got the wood on them, the Demons, and they are playing at a place that holds a bit of spookiness to them, the, the MCG. They have not had the best record there over the last decade. They also have their captain, Dane Zorko, under a lot of scrutiny based off incidents and controversies, I suppose, stemming from the Round 23 game. That is an issue that hasn't completely been stamped out. I know with comments made in the media during that week that there was still a little bit of still a little bit of flame on the fire, for lack of a better word. But there is still a bit of tension going into tonight's game, Raf. How do the Lions handle that and how do the Demons approach it? If you're Melbourne, you've got the wood over the Lions, do you come in and do you go hard at Zorko? If you are Zorko, do you have another crack at Petty? How will all that be handled tonight? Yeah, I think if you take your focus away from your whole 22, just getting the job done and, you know, really trying to put the pressure on one bloke, it, it sometimes can throw you off your, your own game plan, I, I believe. Um, so if you have a tagger on Zorko and he's just in do more day, but I'm, I'm pretty sure every Melbourne player is going to give him a bump every chance they get. So he's, he's going to have a tough night. Um, the way I see it, the, the only way the Lions can really get a, a chance of winning this is they have to really separate the Melbourne backs because mm. you see Stephen May and the way he controls that back line and how well they work together. So for the Lions tools, they've got some big t- timber down there and if Danaher fires, um, you know, he, he can win a game off his own boot like we've seen last week. He, he crumbed the goal, so he's a big agile bloke. Mm. <laughs> you know, so that's the way I see the game going. The only way that the Lions can win is if, it, if they really separate those Melbourne, Melbourne backs. So you mentioned Stephen May, one of the most important players in the entire competition, Raf. He was sensational last week against Buddy Franklin, and I think he will have another big game and that the Demons will get the job done over the Lions tonight. Yep. Who do you pick? Yeah, mate, I'll lean towards the Demons just because of uh, current form and, and uh, history with, with them over the Lions. So, and, and the Lions record at the MCG, you're going to have to tip the Ds. I agree. A win like they did over the Tigers last week can revitalise a team, but you just can't tip them with any confidence against the Demons and at the MCG. This is... SEN footy at the top end, thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. SEN Fridays at the top end, 16.11am, thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, we will love your listing. Raf, for me, the game of the round last weekend was the Geelong Collingwood thriller at the MCG. We did have the Melbourne game the previous night, but how good is it to have football back at the MCG? I know you would have played there many times across your career. There's just a different vibe, isn't it, when football's played at that ground as opposed to some of the other big stadiums in Australia? Yeah, definitely, mate. Um, you just you just forget about how loud the, the noise can actually get. Um, I remember after one of the, our first finals, after they do the national anthem, the, the roar of the crowd, you know, you're standing a metre apart from your mate and your teammate and you couldn't hear him talking to you. So, you know, that noise is just phenomenal. And to see it full house almost last week and, um, you know, the way the game went, it... It was just only fitting to see it, you know, the way it should be in the MCG when it's a full house and you get a game like that, mate. It's there's no better stage in the world, I reckon. There were plenty of stories of redemption last week. I thought 
Jordan Degoe stood up and had a really good game for Collingwood and Gary Rowan's three goals were ultimately the difference in the end for the Cats. Do you think that that is a win that Chris Scott will take as a positive or will the Geelong coach be worried that the Magpies were able to get so close and Geelong had to really scratch and claw for that victory? Yeah, it's a hard one, I guess. I think um, a lot of people probably back Geelong to get it done a lot easier. So that's probably, yeah, like you said, it's a question whether Scott is happy. Um, but, yeah, you know, to their credit, they stood up and they finished the game like a really good side should. Um, Gary Rowan, you know, no one expected him to step up like he did. Um, I'm not sure if he came in for Parfit, maybe. Rowan was already in the team, but there he were some already, question yep. marks about his selection given, yeah. his, given the... The so, four selections by the Cats. Yeah, and so he stood up and, you know, he paid, repaid the faith and, and for them to keep him in. And, you know, he, he was a match winner in the end with his, with his goals because um, I think no one expected him to be the one that got him over the line. You, you expected Jeremy Cameron and Hawkins to kick the majority of the goals and for him to stand up and kick his three or four was um, an amazing effort. Just on Jeremy Cameron, the Cats secured him in a trade, a big, big, big trade to, from the Giants a couple of seasons ago. Is he the most valuable player in the competition at the moment? Yeah, mate. Like I, I love watching Jeremy Cameron go about his business. Um, you know, he's a hard matchup because of his um, his pace and his agility, um, and you know he can swing onto that left foot and just about put it wherever you want it. So it's it's always awesome to see him go about his business. And when he's up and about, like he was last week, um, I know he set up probably a couple of goals early before he got on the board himself. And, you know, if you don't stop Jeremy Cameron, um, it's going to be a long night for you. The Cats have secured a, I was going to say a home preliminary final, but a Melbourne preliminary final at least. Jake Collajasny did limp off with an injury. Does that open the door for Brandon Parfitt? Obviously, it's not a like-for-like player. If Parfitt was to perform a role for the Cats, it would likely be through that midfield. Do you think that... Because we've probably come to an agreement that Parfitt's omission was, at the very least, harsh, given that he came off back-to-back 28 disposal games. Is there a room for Parfitt in this Geelong team this year in 2022? Do you think they will pick him? Yeah, it's a hard one. I'd, I'd, I'd love to say yes, um, and I'd, I'd have him in my side any 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 time I could. Um, but when you you look at the Geelong midfield and they had Selwood and Dangerfield coming off the bench, do you think you know well, where does Parfit fit in with those two? Um, you know, because he's got to come so, sort of on either behind them or if not, I don't see him in front of them um, in the midfield. You know, they're two superstars. I know Selwood's probably towards the end of his career. But, um, you know, just the, the effort he puts in and the standard he sets for the rest of his teammates. Um, where Parfit with his ball-winning skills is more of that outside classy um, finisher. Um, so, like you said, it's got to be like for like. Um, whether, the, you know, they have another backman to come in is the big question. Um, but, yeah, I'd love to see Parfit back in because, you know, not only being a local boy from the Darwin um, I just like the way he goes about it and how classy he is when he has a foot in his hands. The Pies would have won plenty of plaudits last week despite the loss. They did not look disgraced in any way, shape or form. Craig McRae did not like the body language of some of his footballers after the game. He said that as they were slumping down, they sort of gave off the vibe of losers and that's not what it's about under the Craig McRae regime. Can the Pies turn it around? I know they have been seen as that team that 
always wins the close games and, and having not have done so last weekend, it can sometimes burst that momentum a little bit. Do you think that the Pies will dust themselves off? Yeah, mate. Um, they should have walked off with their heads held high because, like I said, no one really expected that um, against the Cats. Um, and, you know, to be to be going at one kick or just over one kick, it's a, it's a big credit to them and, and McRae as well. And, you know, what, what he said about the players is, is awesome. You know, you, you'd love that from a coach and, you know, to always be up and about no matter how much you lose by or what, what the scoreboard don't ever show it. Um, and, you know, going forward, I think they'll be ready to go and, you know, Fremantle Dockers don't kick a goal to half time like they did on the weekend. Um, I don't see them catching the team like Collingwood. That was fascinating, Raf. So last Saturday night we had the Dockers who, it was a tale of two different games really. We had the Dockers starting abysmally and at one stage I think the score was 6-6-42 to a point and it was almost at the stage where Justin Longmuir would be telling the Dockers, look guys, we've got to play for pride, we have to play for the jumper and not even worry about winning the game. But goal after goal after goal and the momentum shifted, which... Western Bulldogs' opponents have been able to do it at different stages throughout this season. And, of course, last year's grand final, probably no more famous example. What did you make of that game? And how hard is it for a coach like Justin Longmuir to be able to keep his composure when his team is playing like they were in the first half? Yeah, definitely. Um, and it definitely wasn't expected, especially for, you know, your Fremantle supporters. You know, you get a home final, you think you'd be jumping out of your skin. Um, and the way they started, it just... Yeah, you know, especially what they didn't start really till after half time almost. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was almost I almost turned it off. Um, but until they kicked that first goal, I thought I'll, I'll give it another couple of minutes. And you know, sure enough, there was another one on the board within 30 seconds. So yeah, for Longmire to, to keep his cool like he did in the box, and you know, not be standing up and swearing and going mad like any other coach maybe would have. Um, you know, whatever message he relayed to the boys at half time definitely worked and like you said the Bulldogs have been in those patches where they play a game and then they just go quiet or turn off the switch and um, you know at the start I thought no one was going to touch Bontempelli he was everywhere he was controlling the game by himself um, and then yeah they sort of stamped him out in the third quarter and they, they took it on and you know the rest is history so amazing turnaround from the Dockers and, and to see that was awesome I, It's going to be a tough tough ask this week for the Dockers. They will go into enemy territory playing at the MCG where you would expect 90%, that might even be too conservative, maybe 95% Collingwood supporters. Can they get it done, Raf? Who will win this game? Oh, it's a hard ask, mate, and like I said, if they start like the way they did at their own home ground with their own home crowd behind them, um, there's no chance for them, so they've got to come out firing and, and start the game like they finished last week. If that doesn't happen, uh, I think Collingwood are going to get a very easy win. I'm going to go the upset here. I think the Dockers are going to win. I think it's going to be similar to when they played Melbourne earlier in the year and Melbourne went in as hot favourites, but the Dockers just found a way. I think that young, youthful midfield of Brayshaw, Sarong can get the job done. I thought uh, Michael Walters played one of his better games last weekend and young Jai Amos in his second ever game I thought was a good focal point for the Dockers. It's a big call, but I think they go into enemy territory and get the job done, Raf. This is SEN Fridays at the top end, 16-11, Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter. SEN Fridays at the top end, 16.11am. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, we will love your listing. 
Raf, I'm excited because there is a new team entering the Northern Territory Football League, a team that has been playing very, very good football in the Division One competition over the past decade and were formerly in the TIFA, the top-end Australian Football Association, formerly known as the Northern Territory Football Association, the Green Ants. And joining us today is the inaugural coach of the club, Shannon Motlop. Thanks very much for joining us this morning. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Shannon, first question from me is, how did your appointment come about? I was speaking to a few Pint people late last year and your name wasn't really mentioned. They didn't have uh, a lot of candidates, I suppose, at the time when I was speaking to them, but I know they were very strong on Sam Dyke, who has done a really good job in previous seasons. And, of course, when you have Ricky Nolan at the club, who is a three-time premiership player at NTFL, sorry, three-time premiership coach at NTFL level, there were whispers about him. When did you express interest yep. in the position and how did that come about? Um, yeah, look, I, I, first of all, I, I wasn't really um, keen on going back into coaching. Um, and as you guys would know, I, uh, you know, I was a, a wanderer's man through and through um, up until, you know, realising that the position was, was there. And, um, you know, points were really, really keen on me um, in the later stages of um, their selection, and um, yeah, uh, they came to me to see if I'd be interested. Um, I'm not sure, yeah, why they thought of me, but um, I did. I didn't do too bad a job at Wanderers, so um, I, I think they thought, um, yeah, I'd probably be a good candidate. And um, yeah, once they talked me around to getting back into footy, uh, yeah, I was back on board, and and now like keen to be and, and happy to be back involved with um, senior footy. In NT. I've got no doubt you'd be a great candidate. What do you know about the football club? I know that there are varying levels of knowledge about some of these old TIFA clubs, whether it be Pint or Banks. And uh, obviously that you're now at the club. I was at their 40-year celebration dinner, and they do have their own rich history. What, what's your background with Pints, and what do you know about the football club? Um, not I, I didn't have a huge background on it but one thing I did know and one of the reasons why I went I was able to uh, leave Wanderers to go to Pines is because my old man played there back in the um, uh, it would have been late uh, mid 90s um, when we transitioned across from Michael's Footy Club to, to Wanderers uh, when I was about 16 years old um, Dad spent a year at um, playing for Pines so uh, I spent a, a, a fair bit of time hanging around the Blinds Footy Club, and at the time, John Stokes was um, uh, the, the senior coach there. So um, his son, Maddie, Maddie Stokes, was was around. Um, you know, we used to kick the footy around him and my brothers, and um, yeah, we, we were around the club for for a year, or it might have been a year or two. Um, so yeah, that was one of the one of the things that um, sort of made me go go back, uh, you, know, you know, go to Pints. And, um, yeah, uh, that's that's my history on it. Um, I've got my own history on it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't really... I didn't really personally have, have, a, have a heap of history on them at the time. So, yeah. What have your early expectations been of the Green Ants? Obviously, we are only a month away from the start of the season. How has the club embraced you? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I've really enjoyed um, coaching at the moment. Um, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, the expectations. Um, yeah, look, 
you'd aim to play finals footy, um, and um, you'll you know I'm, I'm I'm aiming as high as I can, um, but um, at the same time, uh, I guess I've got to be a little bit realistic. Um, we're taking a step up, um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be pretty tough. Uh, you know, it's yeah. Uncharted territory for a few of the boys, um, and uh, you know we've we've got to do some recruiting as well. So uh, not everyone wants to go up and play um, at at Premier League level. So um, yeah, it's a it's a difficult one, and um, it's actually one you know that we'll find out a little bit more about today when we when we take on Nycliffe, um in a trial match at TIO Stadium. Awesome. How you going, Shannon? Raf here, mate. Um, I, I think it's a big question when you're talking about recruits. Um, the big question everyone in Darwin probably got in their mind is, have you um, spoken to Stephen about possibly changing his blue and yellow to the green and gold as well, mate? Um, and also, um, when you're asking about Stephen, I guess Daniel's always keen to follow along and you know, come out of retirement and yeah. and, and, and join his big brother. Um, what's what's uh, any news there you can give us or any inside info or you don't want to let too many Wanderers people down before the season starts, mate? <laughs> um, uh, um, look, I, um, Stephen's uh, decided uh, he's going to take uh, the, the season off um, and not play for anyone, so... That's where that's at, and I'm glad that's over. Yep. Um, I'm sick of <laughs> talking about Stephen. Um, <laughs> uh, look, we we at one point 100% had him um, to points, um, but uh, he's got some surgery on his shoulder to get done, and I think that's going to take up a lot of the a lot of the season. And um, also, he's looking at just doing some travelling. So, um, yeah, uh, apparently he's not playing for anyone. Um, and yeah, my brother Daniel, um, he might show up in the um, Pints Div One at some stage. So um, yeah, the boys will love that playing with Daniel. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, the, the family's coming across. So my sisters are uh, turned up um, to Pints training as well for the women. So um, yeah, it's a, a bit of a family affair coming across. Yeah, that's awesome yeah. to see, Russ. That's uh, yeah. awesome um, that the family's yeah. supporting you in that in that role. And um, mate, what are you you expecting? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you're going to have a kick yourself at all, or you're just going to focus on your coaching and hopefully um, have a good, good successful year. <laughs> Did you have to go there, Ralph? No, I'm retired. <laughs> I've always um, got that question. <laughs> the more people say it, the more chance I'm going to play again. So just, yeah. um, I try to forget that I used to play, and um, you know, because. Yeah, once I start thinking about it, I get a bit itchy. So um, yeah, I'm hopefully um, hopefully not going to play any games this year. I know I played a, a fair bit in the Div One last year, um, but yeah, just didn't feel too good. The body um, struggles during the week when I should be um, working pretty hard um, at work, and uh, yeah, it affects me a little bit. So um, yeah, hopefully I don't play any games this year. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm well and truly done. No worries, Bruce. Hey, Shannon, just a last yeah. question from me. Is it difficult 
to operate in the NTFL when you have such an intertwinement with your family at these other clubs? So obviously we joke about where's Stephen going to play, but it is a difficult decision. He has a lot of friends and family at Wanderers and and across other football clubs. You've got Aaron coaching Wanderers and and plenty more to talk about. Is... Do things get difficult when yeah. it actually comes to talking about football and your family? Yeah, it is. It's um I never I never um probably everyone was chasing Stephen but me. Um yeah. I wasn't having conversation with him about coming to Pints. Once he said at one point, yeah, he was keen to come to Pints, I left it at that. Um because I knew how hard a decision it was gonna be and um a lot of people are chasing him, you know, one or two weeks out of, you know, retiring, which is a massive, um, a massive thing in his life. Um, so as his brother, I, I left him alone. Um, and, uh, but in, in knowing that, um, you know, I knew others would have been, and Wanderers as well would have been in his ear and chasing him pretty hard. Um, but yeah, I just kind of left him alone in the, the footy, footy club, couldn't understand. I've, I guess they were like, well, why aren't you chasing him? Um, can you go have a chat to him? And I'm, I was more along the lines of, no, just leave him alone. Let him make his own decision um, because it has to it has to be his not his decision um, to leave Wanderers because, um, like you say, our ties are so uh, strong with Wanderers that, you know, if he made that decision um, to, to play his first season back in Darwin with Pints... Um, I didn't want him having regrets um, halfway through the season um, and, and that leading to him possibly not playing anyway or um, not playing as well as he could. So, um, yeah, if, if, if he was to come across, I, would, I wanted all of him and him to be uh, 100% into it. So, um, um, yeah, so that decision's always on him. If he ever comes and plays at points, we'll... Um, he would have made that decision himself, so um, without me pushing him. Yeah. Exciting times, Shannon. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. No worries. Thanks, guys. Thanks, brother. SEN Fridays at the top end, 16.11am. This is thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEN Fridays at the top end, 16.11am. Now, Raf, it is time for the Rain and Horn Darwin update, and there are a couple of properties open for inspection on Saturday. The one that I have my eye on is a well-maintained home on a corner block with a private shady yard, nothing better in Darwin, especially in the hot times of the year, which is all 12 months. And this home keeps you cool during the day until you want to splash in the pool or relax out in the back entertaining area. It's a three-bedroom, two-bathroom located in Bakewell, open this Saturday at 10 a.m., and marketing at offers for 435000 That is one BEM court in Bakewell. And the second property, RAF, is tucked away a three-tory townhouse, conveniently situated only minutes' drive from Darwin CBD. The property is perfect for young families, couples or investors alike. A three-bedroom, two-bathroom townhouse located in Stewart Park, open this weekend at 10.45. property is a steel-priced Offers at 575000 Go check them out. Thanks to Rain and Horn. Raf. Yeah, they both sound like very interesting properties. I'd, uh, definitely for the Darwin weather and um, 
the, the shady backyard and a pool, mate, to finish off your day. And also an entertaining area ticks all the boxes for a Darwin property. Um, and also the, the townhouse for a young couple or someone who likes to be in amongst the city is um, perfect as well, mate. So get out and check them out this weekend, guys. Just need something to keep you cool, don't you, in Darwin? Need That's something it. to keep you cool. That's it. Well, heating up, Raf, is the NTFL competition. Plenty happening, as always, this time of the year. Before we talk about some of the big movements from the other clubs, let's talk about an area of your expertise, the St Mary's Football Club, the club that everyone is always chasing. How is the off-season going for Saints so far? Yeah, mate, it's, uh, it's been a slow one um, with a lot of guys obviously playing footy down south. And um, I think this week we finally got very big numbers back on the park, um, which was good to see the last two training sessions um so you're getting most of your premiership players back from last year um so it looks like they're going to have a a solid side again um yeah whether we get some more recruits in I, I still haven't heard any news on that regards um but yeah i think it's a big year in the club itself um, it's our 70 years for st mary's um so it's going to be a, a big year off the field as well um i think we've got a few legends games lined up um so we'll get a few past players and all the champions back in to have a game against the current boys as a bit of a muck around on one of the bye weekends um we've got a 70-year function this year as well so there's some big things to look forward to for the St Mary's faithful um, and so hopefully you know we can back it up and obviously finish in the top couple again and push for another premiership which we always play for and that's the only reason why we our St Mary's side is um, you know that's what we start a year off if we're not playing for a grand final we're sort of um, you know the year hasn't been a successful one. How do you keep that energy level so high and that expectation of success so high I mean I don't want a bad mouth my football club, the Darwin Buffaloes football club, but I feel as though if we won a premiership, we'd be partying for three months, whereas the Saints seem to win a flag, a couple of quiet beers that night at the club, and it's, it's almost pre-season, pre-season dates are announced that, that, that mad Monday. So how do you keep that level of success so high? I think it's... Um I think it just comes as an expectation. Um, you know, once you join St Mary's, that you, you know, you, you're not here to come second or third, and um, you know, that, and that's put into each training session. And you know, we're training to be the best every every session. Um, you know, you're pushing yourself every session, uh, which every club, I believe, w- would be doing. But um, at the end of the day, it's it it comes down to when you walk into the football club and you you see the flags and you see the history and I think that sort of plays a big role in it as well. So you come on board and you're thinking, well, like, I'm not here to, to, you know, to come and have fun. I'm here to actually buy in and keep this place being successful and, and that um, comes sort of automatically, I guess. Um, but then the, the leaders around the club as well keep that standard, you know, no Paredes at the moment. Nate Paredes, the leadership he's shown and taken over in the last year and, and the way he's going forward, it's, um, you know, the club is going to get, get definitely a couple more premierships with Nate Paredes for leading the way. Mm. Raf, the St Mary's Football Club are a formidable unit and no doubt will be this upcoming NTFL season. We will talk about some of the other clubs very shortly, including some huge, and I mean huge, player transfers locally yeah, within the NT. This is... SEN Fridays at the top end, thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. SEN Fridays at the top end, 16.11am, thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, we will love your listing. Raf, we're talking local footy, we're talking the Northern Territory Football League, and we are one month away from the opening round of the season. 
I love living up in the Northern Territory because you have the AFL system and as that reaches its crescendo and, and then has that grand final, it's almost round one the following week. So you don't have as footy all year round if you live in the top end. But there has been some big, big player transfers and we will talk about a couple coming up. Harley Bennell, a very, very talented footballer at the Gold Coast Suns and Melbourne Demons, has announced that he will play for the Tiwi Bombers this season. Gee, if you can get a fit Harley Bennell up and going, he would be a big, big acquisition for the club, wouldn't he? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Harley would be in his mid-20s, I think, or late 20s. So if he, if he was still in the AFL system and, and fit and ready to go on, he, he'd be, you know, be, he'd be in the top of the, um, five or six midfielders, I believe, when he was up and going. And he was in his younger days, he, he was... A, He's a force to be reckoned with, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes up here. Looking forward to it. Harley Bennell. One of the many pieces to the Tiwi puzzle that they need to fill into place to rise up the ladder, I believe. I think the Tiwi Bombers are a team that have struggled over the last couple of years, but I don't think it is very easy to see that when you look at their ladder position. But one thing, Raph, is that the NTFL competition is simply better when the Tiwi Bombers are up and running. Plenty more NTFL footy to discuss thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter. SEN Fridays at the top end, 16.11am. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. Now, Raph, I think this is the biggest news of the program so far from an NTFL perspective and that involves the transfer of the 2020-21 Nichols medal winner Dom Brew who will go from Nycliffe and join the Darwin Buffaloes. An absolutely huge signing for the Double Blues. I think he's a midfielder that complements the way they play perfectly. He's a tackling machine. He averaged 9.9 tackles per game in the VFL this season. He's the co-captain of Werribee, so he adds that leadership. He adds that voice to set up the structures, uh, especially the defensive structures of the Darn Buffalo's midfield. I think about a combination of Ben Archard in the ruck with Brew and Stokes in that midfield, and, and it could be a really, really potent combination in that midfield. Dom Brew, what are your memories of him in the NTFL? It was obviously only two seasons ago, but you had that classic grand final uh, against the Dom Brew Tigers that season. What a big, big signing he is for the Buffaloes, Raf. Yeah, definitely, mate, and that's uh, great to hear for the Darwin Buffaloes. And, um, you know, to, to help that midfield and, uh, you know, for Stokes, the last three or four years, he's had to carry the weight of the midfield on his shoulders. He's had to go in and get the ball himself. So to get a ball magnet and a hard in an under-contested position player like Don Brew, like we've seen at Nycliffe, he was, you know, he led the competition in hard ball, gets tackles. Um, so, you know, that's only going to complement the uh, Buffalo's midfield. And, you know, you, you can see someone like um, Stokes, he just playing that outside game now where no one can catch him. He's one of the quickest players in the comp. So if he's got someone in there to compensate, hit the hard ball, get it out to him, mate, uh, the Buffaloes are looking very good and, and I look forward to that combination. From an outside perspective, Raf, I am involved with the Buffaloes, so I hear a lot of, lot of talk about the Buffaloes, but I'd be interested in your perspective what you think that club needs to do to be a real contender in the NTFL. And I think that Buffaloes over the last five years have been thereabouts. Every year they seem to be able to pop up and, and defeat one of the top teams or go very close and show... I think, you know, the main thing is getting your spine right, I guess. Um, if you don't have a really good spine, um, it doesn't matter how good your midfield is or you might have a gun full forward, but 
if you don't have that spine to, to come, you know, to set your, um, your side around it and then to work off that, um, you know, it doesn't matter who your side is. If you don't have that, then it's a, it's going to be a long season ahead. Um, but, yeah, also with um, Stokes, his second year as a coach, um, you know, I think it's his second year or third year. So, you know, he's, he's building a very good young group there and, you know, th- the more they get to play together and the game style he wants, I, I, I think Buffaloes are, are going to go forward again this year and I really look forward to that because, you know, back in the old days, all you heard about was St Mary's, Buffaloes, rivalries and, you know, to have that uh, as another, you know, thing to see coming back to the, um, the NTFL would be awesome. I love how the rivalry is always very strong between a team like Saints and Buffs. All it would take would be for Buffs to have a bit of wind under their sails start a season four and zero, come up against Saints and get the win, and then we'd probably have a 1,000 people singing Shuffle Up the Buffaloes at TIO Stadium. So don't worry about that rivalry, Raph. That'll, that'll rekindle, I think, at the drop of a hat. Another big signing, just quietly too, while we're talking about the Buffaloes, there could be a few more former Nycliffe players on the way. We have been speaking about a little bit off-air, but watch this space, I suppose, for Darn Buffaloes Football Club. Southern Districts have also announced a really big signing, both literally a, a big, big signing, uh, in Matt Dennis, the 200-centimetre ruckman who has been an excellent footballer in the NTFL. He's the best ruckman that I've ever seen in the NTFL, just racks up the ball, racks up the hitouts, and is a good leader. Has a strong playing CV down south as well, so just about the complete package when you're talking about a recruit from down south. He is in his mid-30s now, so he's no spring chicken, Matt Dennis, but a player who you would expect to still be able to dominate the NTFL. And he'll be doing it in new colours this year, Raph, in, for Southern Districts. Yeah, and it definitely was a shock to see that move by Matt Dennis. Um, you know, he, he played very little footy last year due to a few injuries, but, you know, when Matt Dennis is up and going, he, he's definitely in the top three or four players in the NTFL competition, not only being a ruckman, but you know, just a general player in, in the league. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting to see, especially with the, the, the recruits Magpies have, have starting to get, um, that he's um, going out the door because this is their window. I think the Magpies with the recruits coming through. Um, Joshy, his second year, it, it'll be a really good year for the, the Magpies. So to lose almost your best player over the past five to six seasons, um, it, it's going to be a big hole to fill. Well, it's interesting. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in those discussions with Dennis because I've got no doubt once Dennis signalled his intentions to Palmerston, they would have counter-offered that with, hey, you're going to tap the ball down to Gary Ablett this year or you're going to play alongside Eddie Betts again. And then who else knows what names are going to be coming for Palmerston. So obviously a big decision that Matt Dennis had to make. Let's just talk very quickly about the Palmerston Football Club. I don't want to be too negative about where that club has been over the past decade but they seem to be underperforming and this year there has been a lot of positive press regarding some big recruits they've got they will change culturally with some of the recruits as well obviously Philip Wills headlines that but he went over to Nycliffe and what he was able to do there alongside Cameron Islet and a couple of other key figures to just completely change Nycliffe's culture into a premiership winning machine really do you think that we all know he's going to be a good acquisition for Palmerston, but what do the Magpies need? Is that enough just to fix that off-field culture and off-field structures to rise up the ladder? Do they need more talent? Do they not have the cattle at the football club to perhaps achieve these results? Yeah, I think that's a big thing we've seen last year's shift for Magpies. They finally started to get, you know, the cattle, like, like so to speak, to on the field where 
you know, the previous seasons I'd have five or six really good players and it'll drop away very, very quickly. Um, where now you're getting up to the, having that, you know, strong squad of at least 10 to 15 good players and, and then, you know, your, your five or six are the younger guys that are coming through but also show a lot of promise. So, you know, with the recruits they're going to get um, a bit of leadership from Philip Wills, you know, that's what he brings, his quality with his leadership skills, um, you know, to push push the younger guys through and also give them guidance and, you know, hopefully speed up some of those younger guys to, to bring them ready to be playing top league footy and playing at their best. Um, but, yeah, like I said, the, the big thing for Magpies is having, you know, 20 to 30 good players to pick from and not 10 really good players and the rest falls away. So... I think we've seen that shift last year and, um, yeah, they're going to be, you know, a dangerous side if, if it all clicks and everything works out well for them. Yeah, it's a delicate position managing an NTFL team. You almost need, like, a full-time list manager with yeah, the point definitely. system and definitely. the way the juniors are and the different divisions and grades. But they will click at some stage Palmerston. They've got a great song. They've got one of the greatest songs in the league, <laughs> if you ask me. So hopefully they can sing that a few more times this season. Yeah, and they definitely know how to put a party on at a home game and they've got the music playing. They've, they're even bringing the DJ. So if they get a good good year and, and win some games at Palmerston, you know, it's, it's going to be a, definitely a party going on down there. They need to get those DJ decks going on up in the stands like they did back a couple of years ago. Remember the Palmy Army, Raph? Yeah, mate. They had a huge, yeah. they had a huge, used to bring out the banner and yeah, they had a bit of banter. I think they had a horn one time trying to put off the players having yeah. a shot for goal. But we love that stuff. The Nightly Football Club are the new powerhouse. We talk about St Mary's. We talk about how they have had a reign of dominance over the NTFL for 70 years now, pretty much. Nightly for a team that were maligned uh, by the public and I wouldn't say they were the butt of all the jokes but whenever we talk about a premiership drought it was always what a Nycliffe up to are they 45 years are they 50 years 55 years well not anymore things have changed drastically over the past couple of seasons and the Tigers are almost the benchmark I believe of the NTFL competition they have strengthened their list with the signing of Hamish Hartlett, who was an excellent footballer for Port Adelaide in an AFL career. Previously, a very early draft pick. I think he went at pick four, and he spent the 2022 season playing in the Sandful. So he comes with good form. He's doing some coaching work with the Powers AFLW team, so he will have those commitments that he'll need to fulfil. But a recruit like Hamish Hartlett, what does he bring the Tigers, and what do Nycliffe need to do to be able to maintain the level that they are at. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a hard one, that one, because, uh, you know, whether Hamish is moving up for a whole season to play every game is is, is the other question. Uh, we do hear a lot of rumours, and there has been a lot of news about Nycliffe um, players leaving, um, which we know. So, you know, if they lose seven or eight of their past premiership players, um, you know, you need more than one player um, to replace that. Hamish Hartlett is good enough, you know, to fill some of that gap but you know when you're talking seven or eight players that have maybe walked out of Nycliffe um, so it'll be interesting to see how Nycliffe juniors um, because they've always been a very strong under 18s club they've always been in the finals uh, I've seen over the past few years so whether those boys are ready to stand up and step into those places um, you know the players that have gone missing um, would be an interesting one so it's going to be a very very interesting season and the first few rounds for Nycliffe I think to see how they respond to losing some players and see who they recruit and Hamish Hartlett would be a big part of that. I agree. 
Wanderers Football Club, we touched on them a little bit when we were speaking to Pint Premier League coach Shannon Motlop, but Wanderers are coached by Aaron Motlop, who was also a terrific footballer in his own right in the NTFL. Uh, Played a little bit at North Adelaide as well. What do the Eagles need to do? Because right now they're probably in no man's land in regards to, I don't think last year anybody saw them as a genuine premiership chance for most of the season, but they are clearly still a formidable team. They are better than your Palmerstons and your Tiwi Bombers of the world. They are a team that relies on, I suppose, that typical territory style of football, the fast ball movement, play on at all costs, play with the flair. One player who I think is integral for that game style is Bo O'Connell. So when you've got O'Connell up and running and playing his best football, he's almost like a mini Gary Ablett Jr. in the NTFL. He's already won an equals medal at the age of 18, one of the youngest winners of all time. What do Wanderers need to do to rise up the ladder, be a genuine premiership threat? And how important is O'Connell to the Eagles? Yeah, definitely. Um, Aaron Motlop knows his business and knows his footy. And, um, you know, Wanderers, I see Wanderers still as a top three side coming off last year. Um, you know, they were played in the last two prelim finals. Um, they were right there, um, you know. So I think if they keep that same group together and they've got some really good promising juniors coming through as well. Um, but, yeah, if you get Bo O'Connell firing from round one and you can build a midfield and a group around him... Um, which they've just already already got that. Um, you know, Wanderers. It's up to them really where they where they go. Um, you know, if they're ready to go, which Aaron will have them. I, I believe Aaron's one of the best coaches out there, and he's very professional with his footy. You know, he was a past captain of NT Thunder as well, and his footy speaks for itself. And um, you know, I think he'll have the the Wanderers ready to go. So I think a big thing, big season coming for Wanderers as well. We could talk all day, and we probably will, Raf, about these NTFL yep. teams over the next month as we lead into the NTFL season. But before we change route a little bit, let's talk about the Warriors. Waratah, they had a season last year where they made the grand final, I think, the first time in over a decade. Still a bit of a premiership drought. I think that's over a decade long now, and they were very keen last year. They thought last year might have been the year when they went straight through, but it wasn't to be. What do Waratah need to do to match the St Mary's of the world? In my opinion, Raf, I think that they need to add a little bit more pace. I thought when they added Curtly Silver into that forward line last year, he was a real game-breaker for them. I think around the midfield, they have very good footballers, fundamental players who are VFL types or Sandville types or gun country footballers from down south but you need that mixture in the NTFL you need that blend which is what I was trying to point on before when saying how valuable Don Brew will be because he is that down south player and he compliments a Jared Stokes type what do you think Waratah need to do to be able to overcome that deficit against a team like St Mary's yeah definitely that's a great point because you need that uh, mix of inside and outside pace um, you know and, and I think that's what you've just mentioned you know, War, War, Waratahs lacked a bit of that outside pace and, you know, when once St Mary's got it on the outside in that grand final, you know, they broke away quite easily and kicked a lot of goals on the outside and on the turnover. So if Warriors are going to improve and get better, they need to find a couple of genuine speedsters on the outside, a couple of maybe even a genuine small forward that can kick you, you know, your three or four goals a game and you're not relying on your bigs to to kick your goals every week um, and to have that mixture is, is a very crucial ingredient, I reckon, for them going forward. Just quickly, Raf, how good is Darren Buff Ewing? He is still kicking goals. Just when you think he's finished, I bumped into Buff a couple of months ago and you could not find a bloke who 
wants to avoid football more. If you ask him about any NTFL plans or even just to have a kick to kick with you, he'd probably say, no, he's done, he's retired, doesn't want to even look at a football. But whenever he puts his name down on the team sheet, it's always a big bag of goals next to it. He kicked 11 goals, 11 out of 14 goals, I believe. His team's 14 goals, Tongala, a fortnight ago in their final win. Playing with Buff was a great experience. He's a very interesting footballer, not your typical full forward. He's only about 183 centimetres. He, let's face it, Buff's not built like your chiselled muscle Greek goddess stat- <laughs> statue type. But, gee, he can play football, that bloke. What are your memories of, very quickly, because we do need to go to a break, but what are your memories of Darren Ewing as a footballer and playing alongside him? Yeah, he's a very uh, interesting person, Darren Ewing. Like you said, he, he very rarely talks footy. He's one of the most quietest blokes going around when you're having a footy chat or he's the last bloke to bring up football and talk about football. So if you didn't know him and you walked past him in the street or you bumped into him, you wouldn't know he's a football player because, like you said, he's not that you know fit, physique, tall um modern footballer that you expect but um you know anytime he puts on his boots mate you get the best out of him and he's one of the hardest to stop even trying to stop him at training and playing on him it was um it's a battle and you had to come up with different ways to try and cut off his angles and um you know i feel sorry for backline players whenever they see darren earring's name on the team sheet so and then good to see he's still kicking bags of goals so hopefully he's um going to come back and play in the ncfl at premier league mm. um we'll, we'll soon see so living remotely in the Northern Territory, flying into Murray Football League team Tongala and just kicking bags is Darren Ewing, who was a legendary full forward with the NT Thunder and in the NTFL with Palmerston and St Mary's. This is SEN Fridays at the top end, 1611, thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. SEN Fridays at the top end, 1611 AM, thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, we will love your listing. Raf, plenty of Territory boys in the trade spotlight this year. Let's talk first about Junior Rioli, a premiership player with the West Coast Eagles and a phenomenal footballer. Obviously, he had the much-spoken-about controversies of the past couple of years, but let's face it, when Willie Rioli is up and going, he is one of the more damaging players in the competition, a player who I believe still has his best football ahead of him and a player that will make a big impact at whatever AFL club that he goes to. What did you make of the news that he could be heading to Port Adelaide? Do you think a change like that could be good for his football? Yeah, I definitely think it's uh, it's definitely needed, mate. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, we've heard some comments about past players like Xavier Ellis saying that uh, Junior owes the club. He, he went very hard. Yeah, Xavier he went very Ellis. hard and talking about what West Coast had done for Junior while he was, um, you know, spent those two years on the sidelines and supporting him. Um but I think this day and age, we know how cutthroat the AFL system is. And at the end of the day, I think you've got to look after yourself and, and your best interest. Um, so if Port Adelaide are willing to you know, put a better offer on the table, um, I'd be, it'd be silly not to take it if I was um, junior. Um, you know, He's got to look after himself at the end of the day. And he's going into that 27, 28-year-old age where you know, as soon as you don't perform, the AFL clubs are quite happy to tap you on the shoulder and say, thanks for coming, mate. And, um, you know, and I, I experienced that myself. Um, I wish if I had the opportunity to go back and, you know, put up my hand for a change, um, I would have loved to have that opportunity. So hopefully Junior makes the best decision for himself. What do you think, mate, on that one? 
Well, I know what Xavier Ellis thinks. Yes. And he came out during the week and said, not having to pay for your QC fees of your cases that you've had for the last two years, to have them waived, that would make me feel a bit comfortable. Rioli, I think you owe West Coast. So clearly not on a first-name basis, those two former Eagles. Well, Willie's soon to be a former Eagle, Junior Rioli. Uh, look, I think it's a tough one, Raf. You do need to look after yourself. It is an industry with a finite time. I look at Junior and he has a young family. He had, obviously, a family tragedy over the past couple of months as well. So there is no doubt, given um, the tumultuous couple of years that he has, and I think an important part about the Junior Rioli story is that he hasn't really come out and said his side of the story, and I believe he does have a side of the story. Um, His name has been run through the mud a little bit over the past couple of years, but Anyone that knows Junior, and and you've played some football with him, I was lucky enough to play some junior football with him. He's a terrific person. He comes with terrific character, and he would be a great acquisition to any club. So I think you would know more than me, at least, and and probably most of our listeners, the cutthroat world that we live in in the AFL. It is about finding that balance between loyalty and and making the most of, of your own situation. But I feel as though there are you would hate to finish up your AFL career and sit back and think, gee, I should have taken that three or four-year deal. Yeah, definitely, mate. Only to be found on the scrap heap, the AFL scrap heap, a couple of years later. Um, junior, he will slot into the forward line at the power, you would think. How do you think he fits into that team? Yeah, mate, I, I think he'll fit in perfectly, you know, with the, the spot opening up with Stephen Motlop um, retiring. Um, he'd, he'd fit straight into that role, I guess, and that, you know, because Stephen come off the, had a hit in the midfield every now and again, which we've seen Junior do um, you know, I love in Junior his career. Field. Yeah, and mate, and he's, you know, when you talk about the best players you've seen, he's in the top five of mine, um, mm. you know, just his natural ability. But, you know, if he was 17, oh, not 17, if he was 20 or 21 um, and these talks were going on, you'd, you'd definitely tell him to stay at West Coast and, you know, pay him back those couple of years that well, everyone thinks it seems that he owes a club. But, you know, if I was junior, I'd, I'd definitely be looking at other options, and you know that that next that new move to prove yourself to your new teammates, to you know a new um, new club that also gives you another gear, and you know you never know he could take it to another level, and mm. you know we've seen some of the levels he he can take it to, and in patches, and when he's up and running, like he's he's not far behind Cyril in, in terms of flair and ability, and you know he's just as good. Well, Raf, that was always the comparison. I know that those who watched Cyril really closely would always say, oh, wait till Junior comes through. Or if Junior could just drop a couple of kilos, he'll be as good as Cyril because he's more talented. And, I mean, he has shown glimpses at AFL level. He's had some games where he's just looked a class above. But I agree. I think Junior has levels above what he has already shown. And and he's entering the prime of his football now, that mid to late 20s age. And I think whichever club is looking like Port Adelaide, that gets Junior's services are going to have an absolute fine there. So best of luck to Junior. Best of luck to all the clubs involved in that trade period. Another player whose name has been mentioned quite a lot is Ben Long, and hopefully we can get him on the show to talk to him over the next couple of weeks. We'll see how that goes. But a player who probably looked a little bit stagnant this year at your former club, St Kilda. This is the one probably closer to your heart than most, given that we're talking about a territory player, same junior team as you, same AFL club as you, Raf. 
What does Ben Long need to do to revitalise his football career? Do you think that he can stay at the Saints and, and have a successful time there, or do you think he should explore an opportunity at, say, at North Melbourne? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I, I sort of see some similarity too with um, Ben um, with his playing career at St Kilda. Like, um, you know, sometimes you're in favour, then you're out of favour, and I had that um, at St Kilda at times as well towards the end of my career. And, um, you know, like I said, if I had the opportunity to you know, put my hand up and go for a trade, um, I would definitely would have done it, um, especially with the, the year I had up with Scotty Waters my last year. And um, so, yeah, I, I encourage Ben to find out what is out there for him and see who's going to put the best offer on the table for him because, you know, you, you, we're talking links to North Melbourne and, and, you know, if you see him go to North Melbourne, you could see him being in their best 22 every week, which, you know, you, you think he'd be in the best team at St Kilda every week, but you know, over the past four or five weeks, you've seen him either on the on sidelines or back in the reserves. And, you know, the way the Ben attacks the footy and when he's up and about, he's he's one of your best half-backs or half-forwards going around, I, I believe. So, you know, that fresh start as well, same like we're talking about junior, sometimes that fresh start is what you need. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd encourage him and I'd tell him to sort of look and find your best option that fits him. So very quickly, Raph, because we do need to go to a break, what does Ben Long give to a club like North Melbourne? For me, it's that mongrel, it's that versatility, it's just that hard edge. What do you think he gives to a club like the Roos? Yeah, I think you've, you've summed it up there perfectly, mate. He gives you you know, a two-way player um, and that versatility of being a back forward or even a, a mid. He could probably lock down on someone if you told him to. Um, and then also that hardness at the footy, um, you know, which North Melbourne are probably missing. They've been missing a lot of stuff. So to get someone of Ben's um, quality to add all those, you know, ability he has and, and skill, um, you know, he'd, he'd be a perfect fit, I believe. Do you think he's a forward or a defender? Oh, uh, I think I'd play him on a wing because he can he can read it both ways and, and get on the end and kick a nice goal. So, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd probably like to see him locked down on a half, half back. If it was my team and I was picking Ben, I'd put him on a half back. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch the relationship. If he does go to North Melbourne, uh, the relationship that he has with Alistair Clarkson, both that sort of junkyard dog, smaller defender types that definitely bat above their weight class. But very, very, very interesting. This is SEN Fridays at the Top End, 16.11am. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91